0: Turn, if you're not already there, to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And Luke was a medical doctor. And um, the way he compiled his Gospel is he, he basically interviewed eyewitnesses like Mary and the disciples. And, and he, he, he wanted to construct an orderly account of what happened in the Gospel and and, and record Jesus' life, His birth, life, death, resurrection. And so what He's doing is He's trying to unfold um, based on these eyewitness testimonies. And there's a lot of emphasis um, on Mary's kind of perspective in Luke. And Luke is, is giving us Unique things that we didn't get in any other gospel. You don't find the, the parable of the prodigal son in any other gospel. You don't find these three parables and they explode with truth about the grace of God, the favor of God, the loving compassion of God that just relentlessly pursues you. And so you might be here today and just feeling like, I don't feel like God is in touch with what, what's going on in my life. And you need to know from these parables that we're about to get into that God is just reckless in His pursuit of you. He he loves you. He loves you so much that He's he's longing to meet with you and meet you in your need. And if you're a believer, you know that love, and maybe you need to be reawakened to it and rekindled. and, And that amazing grace we just sung about, that just needs to wash over us. So, let's come before the Lord and, and just ask that the Spirit would bless our time, bless this Word, and just prepare our hearts and the hearts of those who are listening online that we might get help from this passage. Heavenly Father God, Lord, I just thank You for this great news. Lord, this is the greatest news in all the world. Lord, we get the privilege to hear the Gospel that... That You had purpose before the foundation of the world. That You would save people. And You would save them by sending Your Son into the world to deal with their real needs, their real hurt, their real discouragement. And Father, if there's wounded hearts here, I pray they would get healed. If there's trapped souls that are just feeling like all bound up, God, that You would grant release And I pray, God, that Your Word would be like a a healing balm to our hearts. And I pray that it would be like a mobilizing sound, that clarion call, this trumpet sounding, and that the people of God would rejoice as we hear the Gospel afresh, as we hear the love of God afresh. That our hearts would just sing, and Lord, that we would go out like sailing into our city with the greatest news in all the world. Sharing Jesus with all who have ears to hear. And Lord, I'm just thankful that we are able to do Gospel to Every Home and bring the Word of God to our community, to our county. And we just pray, God, that that it wouldn't just stay in the confines of that geographical region, but that it would just bust loose. And that you would begin to do glorious things in and around us and in our nation and in across the globe father as you are doing but bring awakening lord surely uh 18 months of coronavirus has brought us to our knees in some ways where we're just freshly feeling our need and so god break in and minister to us now in jesus name amen So I want to ask you all a question to start off. How how many of us know that Jesus in the Gospels, all throughout the Gospels, is running towards sinners in need? He's running towards them in need. And they're attracted. Like They're coming to Him. There's all sorts of needs. The blind are coming to Him just desperate for sight. The deaf are coming to Him desperate for hearing. The lepers who are diseased are coming to Him desperate for healing. And people who are, are freshly being awakened to their, their sin. Prostitutes, swindlers, tax collectors, which I mean, we all know, right, like tax collectors and no offense to anybody who's working for the IRS listening. But, you know, we still kind of feel the same way about them that we do, that they did in biblical times. They were, like, considered turncoats, working for the man, you know? And, and the man was Rome, and if you were a Jew, that wasn't a good thing, to be working for the man. That's, like, doubly unclean. And so, any good religious Jew would have been, like, looking down his nose, like, get, get, get that tax collector out of my face. And then you've got people that are just living in open sin, they're like lost sheep. They don't know what they're doing. They're just living and life has beaten them down. And Jesus is just like, come to Me. Come to Me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your soul. You're, if you're weary, if you're discouraged, if you feel like you're at the end of your tether or your rope, the Gospel's for you. And so when we get into Luke 15, we're going to see some of the most famous parables unfolded. But what often doesn't get unfolded is the context. So we're just going to dive into the context real quick to get at what is the spiritual situation Jesus is walking into. And if you see in verse 1 of chapter 15, the first two verses lay it out for us. Now, the tax collectors and sinners... We're all drawing near to Jesus or near to uh, to hear him, right? So the tax collectors and the sinners, which is just shorthand for saying everybody who's got jacked up lives and knows it, right, are coming near to hear Jesus. And then the Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling verse two saying, this man receives sinners and tax collectors to eat with him. And that provokes a parable from Jesus where he's going to reorient. Because the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they are like the religious elite of the day. I mean, they knew their Bibles. They were going to Wednesday Bible study. They were going to Sunday school. They were, they were you know reading their literature. They knew the law. They were trying to study it. They were trying to be good people. And so much so that they'd be like, yeah, I, I thank God that I give alms every day. And I thank God that I, I, I go to Wednesday Bible study. I'm not like you peons who don't do that sort of stuff, right? Or I, I thank God that I'm so spiritual. And their religion had begun to strangle out any life of God. And they started grumbling when actually people in need were coming to Jesus and they were so blind they didn't see their need. They were self-righteous and totally cut off from God. And Jesus speaks just penetrating words to them. They're scandalized by Jesus, but Jesus is horrified that they're shutting up the gates of heaven and heaping on people all this morality now you gotta do this and this and that in, in this way, and then God will be pleased with you. And Jesus is like, you don't get it. Nobody's righteous. So, in one sense, this parable is teaching us that everybody's under sin. Everybody's lost. The Pharisee in his religious self-righteous, righteous hypocrisy, and the tax collectors and the swindlers, and the prostitutes, and the drug dealers, and the drug addicts, and, and, and the ones who are, are, are you know binging uh, all sorts of sexual immorality at the temples, going to the cult prostitutes. And ultimately, what God is doing is He's leveling the playing field and saying, no, the Pharisees also have missed it. They're not in touch with what is really going on. They think they're saved. But they're making people twice the sons of hell that they are, Jesus said. They're like whitewashed tombs. Outwardly, they look real good, but inwardly, they're like dead man's bones inside. Right? So Jesus is walking into this, and He tells these parables to show that You can be lost in licentiousness and you can be lost in your religion. And don't don't misunderstand me. If you're a born-again believer, right? Then your eyes see. So both these camps, Christians are being called out by the Good Shepherd from the religious hypocrisy and also from the licentious just living irreligiously apart from God. And there's people in our congregation who are on both sides of that fence who got saved in that very way. And so we, we just have to remember that everybody needs the grace of God in their life. Everybody. There's nobody in this room who doesn't need grace. And Jesus is just, He has the heart of God and He's running towards sinners and their need. And maybe you're here today, and you feel dirty, you feel unclean, you feel like I just don't feel. I feel like God, God is just I, doesn't want anything to do with me. And you need to get help from this message because the Lord is running towards you in your need right now, and He wants you to know that He's ready to rescue anybody who repents, anybody who turns to Him. He's ready. He's willing. His arms are open. He's longing and aching like a father just longing for a wayward child to come home. So we're going to get into this passage and be helped kind of ferreting out are we coming to Jesus knowing that that's the only place where we're going to get help? Or are we trying to go somewhere else and deal with our hearts by living reckless or living religious? And we miss Jesus on both sides of that pendulum. Jesus is where you come humbly before the throne of God and say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need rescue. I need help. And He comes in and He meets you right where you're at. Right in your uncleanness. Right in your hypocrisy. And He can deal with that. So we're going to look at this passage and um, I just have three points really to unfold what Jesus' message to the Pharisees is, right? Because He's speaking this because they're missing it and they're actually grumbling that He'd be willing to have the audacity to have all these wicked people in His life. And they're like, you're going to open up your home to that person? You're going to open up your home to somebody who's struggling with, or, or who's just knee deep in homosexuality. You're going to open up your home to somebody who's, who's a known addict. You're going to open up your home to somebody who's, who's, who's visiting the cult prostitutes or is on the website and they're, they're watching stuff that's filthy and they're defiling themselves and you're opening your home and they're offended because they, the Pharisees were like segregating themselves thinking that was the way to heaven. We'll just get holy and be like all on our own and all these sinners will kind of get away from us. And that wasn't Jesus' heart at all. So point number one that unfolds the heart of God to us is God's relentless pursuit of sinners in their need. And you can see it right here in verse four, right? what man, this is his first parable, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it upon his shoulders rejoicing. So the picture there, the picture there is a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. And one of them leaves And it wanders away and you've got the ninety nine still there. And that seems kind of reckless if you're a shepherd, right? You're you're going to leave the ninety nine who are all good and you're going to go after the one that got away. And this is like the shepherds pursuing the highways and byways looking for this sheep that got away, this sheep that may be caught in danger, this sheep that may be being hunted by wolves and the love of a shepherd just going after the one that got away. And when he finds this little sheep, throws him up on his shoulders and just rejoices to take him all the way home, back to the fold. That's the heart of God towards you in your need. He will go after you. He will pursue you. And in fact, if you really think about it, God was pursuing you and is pursuing you every single day. C.S. Lewis once said that the Lord whispers to us in our pleasures, in the, the good things that we get, but he screams to us in our pain. And pain is sometimes God's megaphone for getting our attention. And sometimes we're experiencing things in life, right? We're experiencing Tragedy, difficulty to awaken our hearts to our need before God so that we'll run to him as a father who's just ready to wrap his arms around you and say, I love you. I've been waiting. I've been eager. There's more, right? Verse six, and when he comes home, he calls all of his friends together and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me. I found the sheep that was lost. That's God's heart. He's excited to see sinners get rescued. Just so I tell you, Verse 7, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance. Now, it's still, you know, maybe a little bit hard for us in this whole shepherd imagery to get at this. But how many of y'all have lost a child at the supermarket or at a fair or a park or something like that? And all of a sudden you realize, uh uh-oh. And that that sense of panic, that sense of tension, that sense of urgency where you're going to move heaven and earth and pursue that child until you find him. I remember we were at um, the... Uh, it was Southern, Southern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary has a fair like every year in September. And we lost Isaiah. And there was about a thousand people there. And we're just looking everywhere. There's inflatable you know, uh, uh, balloon things. There's there's like jump machines. There's bounce castles. And it's just sea of people. And we're just, we're looking, and we've got like SWAT teams going, and we've got all sorts of stuff trying to find our son. And I'll tell you, when, when we found him, there was just a sense of relief and joy that the son that was lost, I found. He was far but now he's near he was in danger but now he's safe and that's God's heart towards you please know that God's heart towards you is a father's heart towards his child and he loves you so much that he has this kind of reckless abandon that he's willing to go after the one that was lost go into the open country and do everything he can to find it And then when he does, he throws it on his shoulders. There's that intimacy. And some of y'all are probably feeling today like, I just don't feel, I don't feel intimacy with God. I feel estranged. I feel far. I feel like like I'm not in touch with the care that I want so badly. And perhaps verse 7 is the answer for you. That there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. The repentance is the gateway. The humility. The repentance. The turning to God in faith. The coming to God as a father approaching Him through Jesus who's telling this parable who said in uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that's my mission. I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. That is what Jesus came to do. And he did it by dying on a cross to pay the penalty for your sins. You feel like, I'm too dirty. Well, Jesus paid for sins on the cross for all who believe. Well, you feel like, I'm just unclean. Well, he'll wash you in his blood. Well, you feel like, you know what? What I've done, he can't forgive. Well, there's no sin too great. There's no sin too far out. There's no predicament that you're in that he will not help you. He'll go after you. That's the whole imagery here, right? He's going after the sheep. He's going after. He doesn't care where they are. He's going to go get them. He'll snatch them up before the wolf gets them. And maybe you need to hear that today, that God will come for you if you turn to him, if you receive him, if you receive all that he has for you in Jesus as he's running toward you in love to rescue you. That's what this parable is all about. Isaiah the prophet said of God as a shepherd, he said, he'll tend to his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather his lambs in his arms. He'll carry them into his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. That's just a tender picture of a shepherd who actually cares for his people. He's shepherdly towards you. He's fatherly towards you. And if you're His child, there's nothing He will not do. He is good. He is holy. He is loving. And He's lavish in His love towards you. And He gives you a little taste of heaven by sending His Spirit inside of you. And as you hear the shepherd's voice, what did Jesus teach? As the good shepherd, I lay my life down for my sheep. And my sheep know me. They hear my voice and they follow me. They listen. But the hireling, which is the devil, he doesn't care about the sheep. He doesn't care about you. The devil does not care about you. And if you follow him, if you listen to another word instead of the word of God, man, that's just going to end in reckless tragedy. And God wants to swoop you up and pluck you out and bring you into his fold. Please know that kind of care comes from the throne of heaven and the beating heart of God that blood, blood, um, red blood on the cross of Calvary for you so that you could be forgiven, so that you could experience wholeness. You feel broken and just like feeling like you're, you're splitting apart. The Lord can make you whole. That's what he does in redemption. He buys you back. He cleans you up. He makes you new and he puts his spirit inside of you and you begin to live a different way. This is a community being called out of licentious people like the tax collectors and sinners. And it's also people being called out of religious hypocrisy like the Pharisees who thought, hey, we're just going to be good people. And were And they weren't good enough, and they were they were ultimately pretty miserable, pretty angry, pretty grumbling. We might ask ourselves, do we do more grumbling than holding out our arms, reached out in love for people who are lost? Think about where you're at. think about who you tend to, to lean towards more, the licentious person who's rebelling against God or maybe right the the religious Pharisee who's self-righteous we've all got a little bit of both in us I'll tell you that we might lean one way or the other but we've all got a little bit of both and the gospel breaks that down rebuilds us and makes us new that's what this first parable is all about point number two Lost sinners are precious and valuable to God. Look at verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek it diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. So there's that image, right? This is a woman who um, lost a coin. And the coin in the Greek, it's drachma. And it just means like a day's wage. So imagine losing a paycheck in your house somewhere. Imagine losing your kept credit cards, right? Imagine losing a $20 bill. I mean, which, which one of us would not be tearing that house apart trying to find it? The more valuable something is, the more diligent the pursuit. And you see her, she's like got the spotlight out, she's looking, she's got the lamp, she's tearing up her house trying to find it, and when she's found it, there's a sense of relief. Right? There's a sense of relief. But what this parable is communicating is the reality that God has that heart towards you in your sin and in your need. He loves you, and you're so valuable, and you're so precious to Him. And sometimes we don't believe it. Sometimes we don't believe that. We do not think God actually cares about us. And maybe you're in here today and you need to know that God does. And that God pursues you like the woman is tearing up her house looking for it. Or like you when you lost your credit card and you're looking everywhere frantically. This Father loves you and He's got His arms reaching out to those in need. What does that communicate to us, brothers and sisters, about the lost around us? What does that communicate as a picture of how he sees people as utterly valuable, made in his image? Does not Genesis chapter 1 remind us that we're made in the image of God? We bear his very image. And there's something beautiful. And there's something glorious no matter how far off somebody is. So when we're out there and we see people's lifestyles, and we know that there's, there's sin in their lives. Remember, they're valuable. God cares about them. They are not just somebody to go to bat and just slash out on Facebook and be as ugly as possible to. They are valuable, made in God's image, and God would have you extend an arm of love and reaching with the gospel into their lives now they may or may not repent it all hinges on repentance but our love is to be steady nonetheless and our heart towards them is to see them as valuable because that's the way God sees them I mean which one of us would be in this room right now if God had not considered us valuable If God had not considered us and sent somebody to us and somebody didn't treat us with dignity and respect and bring the gospel even though they knew we were running in our sin, even though they knew we were living a life that was immoral or we were a religious hypocrite and somebody confronted us and said, no, Jesus has a better way and Jesus died on a cross to rescue you and Jesus loves you so much that even though you're far off, He'll bring you near by the blood that He spilled. Amazing love, right? Amazing love. Amazing grace. Our chains were bust loose by someone and His name's Jesus. His name is Jesus Christ. And we dare not keep people as the church away from the name of Jesus because we're trying to guard and put guardrails around things and we're so stuck in our ways and we're so stuck in our own Thing that we've forgotten to bust loose into the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ that has the power to save. How many of you know that this is the most powerful force in the universe? That's why the Apostle Paul could say, I tell you, brothers and sisters, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. And Paul knew. He saw, they're valuable, and I'm I'm called to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And he was a Jew, and he was a Pharisee at that. He was one of these people who got called back from his hypocrisy, right? He's the one who got knocked off his horse, who was ready to arrest Christians and put them in jail, and he's humbled, knocked off his horse, and called on a mission to go to the Gentiles, those pig-eating Gentiles, right? Right? Those swine-eating Gentiles, they don't know the ways of the law. They're ignorant fools. He didn't have that heart towards them. He saw them as sinners in need. While the Pharisees looked down their noses and they were so lost in the process. My friends, you can be losing your soul in two ways. Through riotous living and religious hypocrisy. And God calls us out of both. What is the demonstration of God's love and care for us? I mean, how does he show it? How does he show that he cares about us and that we're valuable? Romans 5.8. This is how he does it. He does it on a cross. He does it on a cross, bleeding and bearing the sins and the wrath that you deserve. Because justice is coming for our wickedness and our alienation before God. And God, in His love, sends His Son to deal with it. Romans 5.8 But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since, therefore, we've been justified by His blood, Much more shall we be saved by Jesus from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. And much more, now that we're reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So that's the father's love towards repentant sinners. That he would send Jesus to the cross. That he would arrange For Jesus to be virgin born, totally pure, fully God, fully man, so he could die for our sins, fully God, so he could pay for our sins and fully holy so he could live in our place, a righteous life. And you know what happens when you come to Jesus and all your mess and all your sin? He takes your sin on himself and he gives you his righteousness like robes and puts them around you and you're clean and in the sight of God, you're justified by faith in Jesus. And Jesus looks at you just as if you've never sinned. And he sees you clean. He sees you as new. Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. And deep down, we all long for that. Even as Christians, we need to be awakened once again afresh to the fact that we need Jesus. Jesus that we can't, we're not grace graduates in here, right? Like I, I did that gospel thing and I don't need to live by the gospel anymore. I'm, I need to get into the meteor stuff. And it's like, no, some of the, the, the some of the deep problems that we struggle with in the Christian life is just for lack of getting the gospel of Jesus Christ before our hearts afresh, right? And remembering God's great love towards you so that when you're discouraged and you feel low, you remember, oh, God loved me so much, he says. Well, God so loved the world, or God, God loved you so much He didn't spare His Son. And if He didn't spare His Son, Paul says in Romans eight, "How much more will He not give us everything we need?" He cares for us, and He loves us, and He extends that heart towards us that bleeds on the cross for you and I. Remember it afresh, brothers and sisters. Awaken to it and be helped by it. The Pharisees didn't get it. They didn't realize that they needed redemption. They thought they could earn it by their own righteousness. And Jesus reminds them through these parables that God's heart is running towards people who actually admit their need. And if you're finding yourself not feeling close to God, near to God, or feeling like this Christian thing is actually real, perhaps you have lost touch with the fact of your great need as a sinner and your great need for the grace of God and you're living in your flesh. You're living trying to just do it, pull up my moral bootstraps and just get it done. And God would have you live by grace through faith. And He's prepared works for you to walk in by grace through faith. Before the foundation of the world, God has planned the good works. That's what Ephesians 2 says. That you could walk in them. So we've seen, right? That we've got the lavish love of the Father running recklessly towards us in our need. We've seen that He sees us valuable as lost sinners and He cares about us. And now, point number three, heaven rejoices Heaven throws a party. Heaven celebrates. Heaven throws a party that is glorious. And the applause of heaven thunders when the sinner repents. Look at verse 6. And when he comes home, he called his friends together and his neighbors. This is the the, um, shepherd, right? Saying to them, rejoice with me. Where I found my sheep that was lost. And just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven. Now, think about this. Jesus is telling us what heaven is like. He's tipping his hand to the Pharisees. Hey, I've come from heaven, and I'm going to tell you that heaven actually throws a party when somebody repents and gets saved. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the King. He came to rescue sinners so that God is glorified and heaven shouts and throws a party that makes Mardi Gras look pitiful. Because it's pure and glorious and the thundering applause of the angels and the singing and the melody and the joy. And it's like the heart of God is just aching with that love and joy as people come to know Him. And you know what happens in the Christian's heart? The Christian gets that kind of joy. There's no greater joy than seeing somebody come to Christ and being a part of that. So when we do gospel to every home, when we go out and we do a community outreach, we get to be a part of something that may lead to somebody else coming to know God. And and, and, and heaven will be giving a glorious applause to that. Can you imagine that? I mean we go into stadiums and we cheer for football games and we cheer for basketball games and we're just like I mean you want to see some dudes come alive and you you see a play that happens and they're just like ah how about when sinners come to repentance? How about when Jesus rescues a sinner who is far off? Or Jesus convicts a self-righteous Pharisee and they come to their knees like the apostle Paul? Oh, get ready for the applause of heaven and the joy of heaven when the church comes alive to the mission of God and bringing the gospel to the nations. Verse 10, just so I tell you there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And that's just one sinner. Imagine if you just keep multiplying that. More and more and more, the joy just amplifies and reverberates. It's like being in an echo chamber. Every time somebody gets saved, there's just echoes of joy just flowing through heaven and flowing through the hearts of believers. And you want that joy, brothers and sisters. You want to be a part of that. You want to be caught, in some, caught up in something that is glorious and cosmic that God has prepared before the foundations of the world. For you to be involved in and he's put you on mission and so much of the time we've we've lost touch with that it's like a heavenly sweet 16 right it's like a heavenly birthday party what peace what joy what healing what hope I can't wait to start celebrating. I'm still praying for 20 baptisms. I'm still praying for people to get saved. And and listen, do not lose hope. Be the persistent widow where you are beating down the gates of heaven. Lord, save them and send us. Perhaps the persistent widow story is there to remind you and I that we need to be on our knees pleading with persistence. This... Gospel to every home will have power when the preaching and the evangelizing is being bathed in the persistent prayer of the saints. So we've seen here, we've got a pursuing God. We've got the value of being... God cares about lost sinners. He cares about us. And then we've got the, the the party in heaven when one sinner repents. So what are we going to learn from this? How, how can we be helped? What are some specific things that are going to stir our souls and, 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 and light us on fire for these truths? And I'm going to give you a couple. Number one, we need to recover God's heart for the lost. I was pleading yesterday and just in tears thinking about i just feel like sometimes i can grow very cold and i can get stuck in my routines, and i can forget that there is a world of lost people out there in great need do we have the father's relentless heart of love towards sinners in need are we relentless in our pursuit of them Or do we give up when things get difficult or when we're challenged or we have a bad day? Do we consider them valuable? Do we consider the people that we might despise the sin they're in, but do we consider them valuable? Valuable enough to treat them with dignity and respect and proclaim the great news to them. When's the last time we picked up the phone and had a conversation with somebody who was lost about Jesus? That's what this passage calls and summons forth. Number two, we need to be aware, and I, just hear me, brothers and sisters, hear this as a tender pastoral word. We need to be aware of the tendency towards self-righteous pride And religious hypocrisy. Nothing will eat a church alive faster than that. Nothing will destroy the witness of Christ than proud-hearted Christians who don't care about the lost around them. Who are busy infighting about the color of the carpet and they could care less about souls on their way to hell. That is... This passage is summoning us to real self-reflection and thinking about our own hearts before the throne of God and saying, have I been a Pharisee? Have I gone into that Pharisaical tendency just to kind of like occupy a space in a building? Or am I alive with the, the heart of God and joyfully with the people of God and rejoicing to go out and be a witness in this world? Do we recoil from sinners or do we run to them in their need? And remember, we needed a Savior too. We're one beggar showing another beggar where the food is. Number three God's love is extended towards all who repent. You see the word repent throughout the whole passage, right? Verse 7, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Verse 10, I tell you, there is more joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. God's love is extended to the sinner who repents. God's embrace is is extended. His joy is full at the sinners who repent. And so repentance is the, is the process of of someone coming to the realization that they're a sinner in great need. And perhaps we're here today and we need the grace of God to break into our hearts, to show us where we're really at. And then we come to God in all that we are, in all our mess, in all our need, and know that He's a gracious Father who's just wanting to come and heal you. He's just wanting to come and minister to your soul. He's just wanting to come and forgive your sins. And He did it by sending Jesus And He loves you and He longs for you to repent and trust in His Son. And there's no sin too great. There's no life too dirty. And there's no heart that though it's hardened by pride, cannot be humbled. The Apostle Paul is living proof of that. So no, God's love extends towards all who would turn and embrace his son. That's why he sent Jesus to rescue repentant sinners. And and these are the sinners that the applause of heaven comes as they repent. Such an encouraging thing to think about. And I want to have celebrations. Celebrations where we rejoice because people are coming to know Jesus. And people are coming to their senses like the prodigal, which we'll see next week. He comes to his senses. He knows he's in a pig pen. He knows he's in a mess. And the father just runs towards him, laps him up, gives him a kiss, put his robes on him, puts a ring on him and says, my son was not lost, but now he's found. My daughter was lost, but now she's found. That's the heart of God towards sinners in need. One preacher said it like this. He said about this passage, one thing at any rate stands out clearly on the face of these expressions. There is an infinite willingness on God's part to receive sinners. However wicked a man may have been, In the day that he really turns from his wickedness and comes to God by Christ, God is well pleased. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but God has pleasure in true repentance. Have you truly repented of your sins? Have you come to your senses? Have you admitted your need? Have you come to the throne of grace and got the help that God has supplied lavishly for your very life? God reaches out like a shepherd going after the lost sheep and like a woman tearing her house apart to find a valuable coin. And that's God's heart towards us. Let's pray and just ask the Lord to help us. And and I want us to sit under this word and just let it marinate a little bit as I'm praying. Father, I thank you for this text. I thank You that this text radiates with gospel hope. It, it, it rejoices with the joy of heaven. It, it's sweetened by the flavor and aroma of the God of heaven who has seen us. Lord, You made us for Yourself. And our souls will be restless until we rest in You. And You've made this text alive. Spirit-wrought, Spirit-born to be like a dagger of truth to go into the heart and make it totally new. Or to once again reinvigorate a passion for the name of Jesus and the joy of Christ in taking His name to the nations and to the streets. And Lord, let us let goods and kindred go this mortal life also so that we may have more of Jesus. And perhaps you're here today and you just you need Christ. You know that right now, of all times, you just need to respond to the message of God. You, you need to respond to the Word of God and get help. You need to, to, to be more concerned about the applause of heaven than the fear of man. And I pray, O oh God, that you would awaken and summon faith in some and that those who have been pricked in their conscience, would draw near to you now and say, dear God, please forgive me. Please forgive my sins. I want to come to Jesus. I want to run to Him in His love. I want to run to Him and feel the Father's embrace. Please forgive me. Make me new. Come into my life. Send your Spirit. And bring me into the family of God. And Father, for those who just needed a word, to inspire evangelism in their soul like fire in their bones. God, do that work of stirring in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.